0: a toolkit for women farmers. The In Her Boots podcast celebrates the collaborative spirit of us women farmers and all women working to transform our food system and steward our land, sharing ideas and inspiration with each other. Whether you're a woman with a dream of starting your own farm or already have your hands deep in the soil, there's something for you here. Be sure to subscribe so you won't miss anything. Meg Moynihan leads the Minnesota Department of Agriculture's efforts to support farmers and others in agriculture who are experiencing financial, emotional, and mental stress in their lives and communities. Trained as an agronomist, Meg previously worked as a program director, educator, and evaluator. She also served with the US Peace Corps in Thailand. Meg owns and operates a diversified 70-cow organic dairy farm in Lesseur County, Minnesota, with her husband Kevin Studeman. Thank you, Meg, for joining us today and for sharing your story and your story and your work start personal, right? With you and your farm story and how you got more interested and involved in such a educator and activist and researcher, all those many hats to help support our farming community to better handle stress and become more resilient. But could you kick us off with a little bit on your your personal story there? Why are these issues Important to you? Sure. Everything is really intertwined. And, and I do, before we launch into
1: this, I want to tell you how much I appreciate your inviting me to be a guest on your podcast. I think this is very exciting. And um, I wish that we could all be in the room together, but sometimes podcasts are the way. And I listened to a lot of them on my farm. I always seem to have earbuds in um, underneath my hearing protection. And sometimes that's milking cows or out in the field or, you know, doing whatever. So that said, Um, I am a farmer, but I also work for the Minnesota Department of Agriculture. And I did that, in fact, before I became a farmer. I am, I came to farm, I don't want to say late in life, but it was kind of late in life. I married um, into farming. Uh, I had been working at the Minnesota Department of Agriculture uh, for the organic program. I led our organic program for many, many years. I have a background in agronomy, um, master's degree in agronomy. I had been in the Peace Corps, um, but my origin was as a very, very urban person. So this is sort of the context that I'm setting this up with. So fast forward, uh, you know, 40 years, and I meet and fall in love with a dairy farmer and decide that I am going to set up housekeeping with him on his farm. And I have been very um, interested in agriculture, but always worked at it from the non-production side, you know, from the advisory and support side. So now I was leaping into becoming a farmer. We have a um, about 170 acre farm in South Central Minnesota. We milk uh, 70 cows, we're an organic dairy. And I now also market uh, direct market beef and pork uh, to a limited degree, but those are little sidelines. And um, we were going along merrily. I was working for the Department of Agriculture. I was uh, helping my my husband's name is Kevin Studeman. So I farm as Mrs. Studeman and I have my other life as Meg Moynihan. So Mr. and Mrs. Studeman were merrily, uh, you know, things are bumping along on the farm and um, we are doing our lives. I'm working for the Department of Agriculture. He's pretty much the full time farmer here. Uh, and I was very interested in learning how to do everything, you know, milking cows and operating equipment and um, crop health and rotations and so the volumes of certification paperwork and accounting and all of these, all of these aspects of farming. Um, 2016 came, March of 2016 came, and we received a letter from our dairy co-op saying, we are long on milk. Uh, you are at the end of a very long route. We come a long way to pick up your milk. We've lost a number of producers on that route. And quite frankly, it's no longer worthwhile for us to come and pick up your milk. So we're stopping the route. We will not be buying your milk anymore. And good luck. Wow. 30 days. You have 30 days. Uh, Now, in the meantime, this has happened to a lot of other farmers. But at this point, this was the first time we had ever encountered this. And I had always been a little nervous. I felt like the last pearl on the necklace because we were the last farm on this route. But every year they had renewed our contract. So this came and I say to myself, what, I'm the organic lady at the Department of Agriculture. I know everybody in organic. I have connections nationally. I serve on all sorts of you know, boards and committees nationally. I'm very well connected. I very smugly say to myself, well, if I'll make a few calls and find someone else to take our milk. And I couldn't do it. I contacted every dairy buyer, every other co-op, every company, uh, emerging companies, small cheesemakers that we heard about in Minneapolis and in Mankato, Minnesota, and nobody could take our milk. Either we had too much or not enough. Uh, we talked to a company in Iowa that was thinking of starting roots in, in Minnesota, uh, and it was not working. And so April 1st came and we had to start dumping milk. and. Every week, we would open up the bulk tank a couple times a week and out would pour thousands of gallons of this fresh, pure, grade A organic milk just out the door, either to the field or into some containers to go down the road to some neighbors who have conventional hogs. And um, this rapidly became really difficult for my husband. I mean, it was hard for me, but this was the farm that he Uh, had worked his tail off to buy and had farmed by himself for 20 years trying to make a go of it and all of a sudden he has no market for his milk he has nothing to do with it and it just killed him to open this tank and see all of his labor and time and care and uh, all of that just go basically down the drain. And in the meantime, I contacted National Farmers Organization because I knew that they brokered both uh, conventional and organic milk and started talking with them saying, you know, could we work this from a different angle? And in the meantime, could we even get on a conventional truck? Um, And so that took a while. And in the meantime, my husband decided that he was going to go back to long haul truck driving. He said, uh, he came to me and said, basically, uh, it's pretty clear that I have failed and this farm is failing, and I can't do this anymore. And he was really, really devastated by this whole thing. And he said, I'm, I've been up to the cities to talk to a couple of moving companies, and I'm going to go back on the road and do long-distance hauling. We need revenue for the farm. And he said, I, at this point, I guess I don't care what happens. You know, Sell the cows, milk the cows, hire someone to milk the cows. He said, I just I can't do this anymore. And he was really rattled. And so I thought, well, what the hell do what the hell do I do I've uh, we had only been married about four years at this point, right so this I'm very young in my farming career and in my marriage career and it's it's a kind of a challenge when you marry as a grown up rather than I think marrying when you're twenty twenty and growing up together sure. but um so he uh, uh, I started going to therapists. I had two two therapists. I had my old therapist in the Twin Cities who I raced back to. And then we have um, a mental health counselor. Now we have two in Minnesota. But at that time, we had one who works free of charge with farmers experiencing anxiety, stress, depression, any, any emotional, psychological challenges. So I started going to see Ted Matthews. And there was one day that I had appointments with both of these therapists. Like I ran to Minneapolis, and then I ran down to Mankato, and then I ran home. And I was driving home and all of a sudden this epiphany came to me and I thought, well, wait a minute, why couldn't I be the farmer for a while? Like the farmer instead of the helper. And I thought it is, it was spring, you know, at this point it's, it's May. And I thought, you know, I can keep the cows fed and milked and bred I, I know how to move fence. I know how to fix water line. I can't deal with the crop side. That was beyond my capacity. But I, think, I felt like I could keep things limping along. You know, we basically graze all summer. So that was haha, easy, but I thought it was easy at the time. And so I went home and I proposed that to Kevin. And he said, well, you know, basically knock yourself out. That's fine. I said, I can't do the crops. You'll have to do that when you come home or somehow, you know, you'll help to help, help me the way I help you. And he said, yep, that's fine. So, um, so that's what we did. So I took a leave of absence for the Department of Agriculture and NFO got us on a conventional truck by the end of, it was the end of May. So we dumped milk for two months. And starting at the end of May, I was here on the farm full time running the operation by myself. And um, it was really, really overwhelming. I mean, I am a, you know, I am a person that doesn't shrink from challenges, but I would say that physically and intellectually and emotionally, it was absolutely exhausting. And um, they were very long days, a lot of challenges. And one of the challenges are that I can't, I can't do as much work as he can as quickly just because of how my body is made. I can't carry two full pails of grain or milk. I have to carry them. Half, you know, two halves or one at a time. Uh, When a piece of equipment breaks down, I don't have the like the institutional knowledge of what is wrong with that equipment or how to fix it. If there's a noise or if something stops running, if I run a tractor out of diesel and I have to bleed the lines, I just don't, I don't instinctively know what to do. So I have to sort of step back and figure out what could the problem be and who could help me solve the problem. I relied a lot on neighbors here. Um, and calling people for help, but I had to cycle through it. You know, I just didn't feel like I could call the same neighbor over and over again. So it's like, okay, well, this problem I can call Chuck for, and that problem I'll call Owen for, and that problem I'll call Dave for. And, um, you know, people weren't flooding in here saying, oh, you poor thing, how can we help you? But, but they certainly were willing to help when they could. So we limped along, but um, as the summer wore on, and I was running, I, it was just pretty much running on empty. I lost a ton of weight. I was not getting very much sleep because just the basic work of the cows. I mean, I don't know how farmers can, can do cows and crops, but I sure could because my days were, you know, five, 5.30 in the morning to generally midnight and so I just be- began to get these sleep deficits, I think nutritional deficits, and I found myself just really on a razor's edge. And alternately bursting into tears at parts of the day and angry and slamming doors and slamming gates and screaming at the top of my lungs other parts of the day. And you have to understand I'm alone all the time because he's gone and we don't have children and we don't you didn't have hired help at that point. And so all of this crying and screaming are just to myself. And I finally thought, well, something is wrong here. And I emailed my doctor's office because i had lost my wonderful health insurance from the state right i didn't have my 30 dollar copay anymore i was facing the 6700 dollar deductible for myself and so i thought well i can't really afford to go to the go see the doctor but i'll email so i emailed and told them my symptoms and they said well it sounds like you might be having some anxiety why don't we call in a prescription for an antidepressant to your pharmacy and if that doesn't work, you'll have to come in for an office visit. And I thought, oh, thank God. So I drove to town. I took time to drive to town that day, which some days I couldn't even feel like I could go for groceries, but this was a priority. And I went to the pharmacy and they gave me this little bottle of Celexa and I ran right over to the water fountain and i took one pill and i immediately felt better and i thought oh thank god for the placebo effect cuz you know antidepressants take you know they say 6 6 weeks or more to build up to pharmacological effectiveness in your bloodstream but you know that day i auto- automatically felt better <laughs> that was a huge help and so so uh, i feel like we're going on and on about this part of the story but i um the 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 challenge the the marketing challenge and ended in december when um, somebody else said that they would take our milk, and so we did get on to another milk truck, and we've been on that milk truck ever since. And then in January, late December, twenty sixteen, I went back to work at the Department of Agriculture, and Kevin came home mostly, although the lure of the open road and the lucre—it's driving truck is a lot more um, lucrative than our dairy farming, I will tell you. Yeah. Um, and just the—he's—he's he's a very—he's. um, he is, he's even uh, even more of an extrovert than I am. So just the, the dynamic in being with people is really enticing to him. So he continued to drive occasionally. But anyway, I went back to work at the Department of Agriculture. And I, one of the caveats was, I am not going to be the organic lady anymore. I have had enough of being the organic lady. It's nearly put me into the loony bin. And they said, that's fine. That's fine. There are plenty of other things that we need your skills for. And I said, well, Here's something that I think is going on that we should be paying more attention to is this period has shown me just how stressful all aspects of farming are. I mean, the time commitment, the weather, the illness of the animals, the neighbor relations, the um, I I mean, it's just the list goes on and on. And I looked I was, I was in closer proximity to my neighbors and I could see what they were going through and friends around the state who are farming, who kind of were pure farmers now. It wasn't like I was their organic lady. It was like I was their friend, the farmer. And I could see people dealing with some of these same issues, pricing issues, machinery breakdowns, concerns about their elderly parents and, um, you know, what do we do about mom and dad or mom or dad or going to the nursing home and how do we afford it and do we sell land, farm transition issues. So all of these things I'm seeing. And I came back and I said, it is getting bad out there. And this was December, 2016, January, 2017. There's people are dealing with a lot of stuff and I think we need to be more supportive. And they said, great. Let's figure out how to do that. And so pretty much gave me my head to start working internally with the department and then with a lot of our partner organizations, Farmers Union, Farm Bureau, the commodity groups, different groups and organizations on how is it that we recognize and respond when we see farmers in distress.
0: Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. That led you to a new place and now you're in a place where you can really help champion for others. And given your own experience and your current research in this area, what is your definition of resilience and and why is that important, particularly to women farmers?
1: Well, when it comes to resilience, I think think it looks different for different people. I think it has to do with who we are. And I also think it's situational. And I think um, that sometimes resilience is, is staying on the saddle, like staying on the horse, making sure that, you know, you're the, the ride is, life is bucking you and you are sticking the ride. Um, sometimes it's getting up again after you fall off the horse. And sometimes it's knowing enough that after you fall, you just need to lie there for a while and regroup and recuperate before you can decide whether you run after the horse, get back on the horse, or sell the horse. So I think it looks very different. And, um, and and some days some days it's triumphing, and some days quite frankly, it is just putting one foot in front of the other and understanding that that's what you need to do to
0: get through that day and that is enough and How does resilience in particular relate to women farmers, and why are we so challenged by this concept as as you found in your own story?
1: I think women farmers juggle in a lot and and I I hesitate to say that we juggle more than men, but sometimes we do. Um, and, you know, with the caveat that that we all are wired very differently. I mean, some of us are emotive and some of us are stoic. Some of us are fixers. Um, some of us uh, are argumentative. Some of us clam up. You know, we're very different. And and I I get frustrated when I hear... People talk about, you know, here's how women behave and here's how men behave. You know, men shut the door and women run after them wanting to talk about everything. It's like sometimes that's the case, but sometimes that's not the case. So understanding that that we're different. Um, I do think that frequently we are wired to paying attention to our own experiences, but also we're tuned into what other people are going through. Yeah. And we have a kind of a sense of what other what challenges other people are facing and how it is affecting them and sometimes when you recognize that it becomes really easy to try to be helpful in that way and to do what you can not just for yourself but for other people if you see or sense other people struggling or dealing with a challenge and you think there's something I could do about that sometimes there is that that impetus to, to do that and take on other, take on more. So I think we take on a lot. Uh, I think that it's important for us to be uh, competent and to make things work. Uh, I also think that we find ourselves as women farmers, quite frankly, in a world in which sometimes it's difficult to be recognized for our skills and our contributions and our influence. And I think of this, yesterday I was at the feed store and I go to the feed store all the time and I was buying some bagged calf feed and I know the guy at the feed store very well and every time I go there, he writes Kevin Studeman on the slip. (laughs) And I know that's a little thing, but frequently somebody drives in the yard and wants to, you know, is your husband home? Or going to the feed store and or going for parts or something like that. And just the tacit assumption that people make that you are, oh, she must be the farm wife, the, the parts runner, and not understanding that you are an equal partner in this operation. And that, quite frankly, there are some of the decisions that you make about the farm that your husband does, doesn't get to make or your, your farming partner doesn't get to make. So I think there's just a there's just a, sort of an environment and a culture out there that is that that values tacitly values the male contribution sometimes more than the female and that can be demoralizing
0: and add to stress as well i would think so on that note um what are some ways and ideas for women farmers in particular to boost our resilience any like tools for the toolbox or things you've encountered in your work that might be helpful. But one thing I want to say first is that all
1: of this comes from, I do not have a any legitimate psychological training here at all. All of what I'm talking about here it comes just from experience and observation and listening to other people and things that people have taught me along the way. So so I don't want anybody to assume that I am a, uh, you know, a, a trained psychology with deep insights into these things, but I think as we share our insights, you know, as this community of women farmers, it can be t- tremendously helpful. Um Some of the things I think are handy is um, that understanding that, that the word no can be a complete sentence and that sometimes nothing has to come after that. When we think about roles in The farm and the farm family. I mean, here we are working as a family unit. My family's very small. I just have Kevin. We don't have any children. And we don't have any family close by in the neighborhood that is farming. So we don't have that that taking our attention. But for particularly for farmers who have another, gen- another generation or two or three more generations on the farm, who have kids, who have elderly parents, who have jobs off the farm, who have social commitments, who have commitments to their marriage, who have uh, other types of responsibilities on the farm, sometimes it gets very hard to say no. And we need to practice that word. Sometimes we feel bad or we're letting somebody else down if we say no. And sometimes it's just important to draw a line in the sand and say no and feel like, you know, I really don't owe you an explanation about why I can't edit this cookbook. No, I can't do it. Or no, I'm not willing to do it. So practicing that word. Um, I also think that, and and this is something that I have learned from people who do know what they're talking about, that, that energy is finite. And I think we need to be really careful sometimes that we don't waste it um, on things that don't need doing. But we also shouldn't spend it on people who are not good for us. And there are people in all of our lives who, quite frankly, do not have our best interests at heart. I've heard them um, described as energy sucks. I've heard them described as toxic people. and. Um, understanding that people who are not going to do you any good are probably not people that you can and should be spending a lot of time and energy trying to appease or delight or satisfy. Sometimes that's really challenging because it may be a family member. And and there's a lot there's a lot of tension I know in farm families, um, in siblings, in uh, parental uh, child relationships, in uh, in in-law relationships. And sometimes you want to get along with everybody in your family, but they there may be somebody in your family who's really not a nice person. And trying to protect yourself from that and not giving too much in that direction, I think, can be really really important. I I also think that. that I, I learned something during my time since I got, and I can't quite remember when, since I got married to Kevin in 2012, between then and now, I came up with this phrase. It was sort of like an epiphany that there are some things that are not my problem to solve. And I say to myself, sometimes out loud, and so, I don't say this to the other person, but I say this to myself, sometimes out loud and sometimes in my head, I think that is not my problem to solve. So there may be something going, I'm doing something in the house or I'm doing something for my other job or I'm out flipping hay or something and I see something else going wrong. And if it's not an emergency, if it's an emergency, heck, you know, you 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 drop everything and go and help. Right. If it's critical. But there's some things that are not an emergency. They're an annoyance, you know. I don't know what it is the something runs out of fuel and or somebody has to run to town to pick up a part and if you can do that fine but sometimes it's just not your problem to solve you have other things to do and that has been extremely freeing for me to recognize that sometimes there's just needs to be a barrier and it goes along with that it's okay to say no that no is a complete sentence that that is not my problem to solve I I also think that that it's important to a lot of the women that I talk to are more concerned sometimes about other women they know than they are about themselves. Mm. Like they say, you know, I've sort of got this, I can cope, but I have some real concerns about other women in my community, in my church, in my family, and I don't know what to do. I see them struggling and I don't know what to do. And, there are a few things that I think are helpful in those situations. I mean, they—they they, again, it kind of depends on the situation and on the, on the personality. But one of the one of the things that I came up with—we you know, in Minnesota, we have this magical word, which is "ya," yeah. <laughs> and oh, yeah. <laughs> and the "ya" yeah, can also be a complete sentence, and "ya" yeah, can be an agreement, and "ya" yeah, can be. Uh, you know, something that you're questioning. So I say, use your yas. So if you find somebody who is willing, who is struggling, and is willing to, you think is willing, perhaps to open up sometimes they need to be listened to. Sometimes they need to get to a point where they can start talking about some of these challenges and burdens out loud because they may have just been running around in their head. You know how how you get to obsessing on something and it's just like a little hamster wheel that goes around and around in your head. And if you finally say it out loud or write it down, that may be the first time you've ever Heard it, really heard what's been happening in your head. So if you can provide that service for somebody, it's marvelous. And really, the only word I think you need is "yeah, yeah, 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 yeah," (laughs) and just just encouraging them to keep going. You don't have to have any, you know, um, insights. You don't have to come up with any solutions. Their problems are their problems and they will solve their problems so you can really support them and help them find the courage and the energy to, to, to identify what their options are and work their way through those problems. So I think use your yaws is something that I think is really marvelous here. Um, I, think, I think offering other people help, you know, sometimes we want to help other people, but I, I encourage us to be specific. And the reason I say that is I know when I was flailing around here on the farm, occasionally somebody would stop by or call and say, well, you know, I'd love to help. How can I help? And I would feel like I was at my wits end just trying to keep myself on task and get things done. And I just didn't have the time or the energy to stop and say, "Okay, well, now I've got this other problem. If somebody wants to help now, how do I think about what I can ask, what I should ask, what's appropriate to ask. Like I had to put a whole bunch of energy into thinking about how somebody else would help me. And so what I recommend is think about something you guess might help. Like could, I'm going to the grocery in town. Could I pick some stuff up for you? That would have been a godsend (laughs) when I was eating cereal and milk for all of those months. Like somebody saying, hey, I'm running to Covins. What can I get for you? I, How about I... Um, How about if I come over and watch the kids for a while or take them to our house so that you could get a few projects done that you've been meaning to cross off their list? Or somebody's going in to talk to the banker. Would you like me to go with you and take notes? Or could I drive you to that appointment at the doctor's office? You've talked about maybe going in and and talking about some of your physical and symptoms that you've been having and your inability to sleep. Would you like me to drive you? And I could just sit in the waiting room. Or I could shop in town and come back and pick you up. And so thinking about some really easy, specific things that, you know, people certainly could say yes or no to or might say, well, no, that wouldn't be really helpful. But this other thing would. But giving somebody... You know, a
0: limited menu of options sometimes makes it easier for people to accept help. Oh, that's great. That's super practical. And I I loved when you were talking about uh, earlier about it's not your problem. I've been working on that one myself personally and had heard this mantra of not my circus, not my monkeys. Same thing. (laughs) But yeah, we can't do it all, but we want to. Intuitively, we want to help and we need to learn to say no and do those Things you're talking about terrific well thank you so much meg thank you for the great important work you do and especially appropriate as we kick off this resilience series with our moses in her boots project much appreciated
1: delighted to be with
0: you all thanks again thanks for listening to our in her boots podcast i'm your host lisa Kiverest, with the moses in her boots project this episode's audio engineer was liam Kiverest of techsocket.net The podcast was brought to you by the Midwest Organic and Sustainable Education Service, Moses. The mission of Moses is to educate, inspire, and empower farmers to thrive in a sustainable organic system of agriculture. For more information on Moses, in her boots, and a bounty of organic resources, check out mosesorganic.org.